Malachi chapter 2 today, beginning with verse 1. This is message 3 of our series, Age to Age. And as I've shared with you the last few weeks, Malachi was a post-exilic prophet. God raised him up after God's people were brought out of exile. And God was about to go silent. And through the words of Malachi, a stern warning is released into the atmosphere. A warning that can speak to us today, and that is the spiritual emphasis of the preaching during these fall weeks is to get what was back then into right now, to get that which was part of the old covenant into the new covenant, amen? To get timeless truths into our everyday lives so that Jesus will be Adonai, Lord, above all and in all. As I stated in week one, the people had brought their diseased sacrifices, their worst offering to the temple. They were making a mockery of God. They were leaving the covenant of marriage. Divorce was at an all-time high. They were forsaking the covenant of marriage. They were forsaking their responsibilities as priests and as followers. And I've been hard on church folk the last two weeks, I've probably even, to be true to the text, been hard on you unknowingly because it just takes a few lapses in judgment in order to turn cold and miss the fire of God. It just takes a few decisions to get your mind off track, your spirit off track, your heart off track. And we've cried out the last two weeks for people to return like the church of Ephesus to their first love, to return to the house of God, the things of God, the word of God, the principles of God, to get your fire back, to get your passion back for people, for souls, for kingdom. But today we're going, we're going to get on me a little bit today. We're going to get on the preachers today. We're going to get on leaders today. What does God expect from his leaders? And we're all leaders in our own right. Not only are we leaders, the Bible says we are a chosen nation and a royal priesthood. And if you were raised Roman Catholic, I want you to, when you hear the word priest, I don't want you to adopt the teaching today to what you were raised in because this is the Levitical priesthood. Levi was a son of Jacob and God ordained those from the tribe of Levi to be the priest who would stand in the gap before the Lord. But because of the blood of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we are priests. And so God requires all of us to lead and to shine our light. And he expects certain things out of all of us. One thing that troubled my spirit in the 90s, and I've shared this with you before, because I saw so many people put pastors on such a high pedestal. And I saw people, even in the charismatic movement, which I'm a full gospel preacher, I believe in the gifts of the spirit. But I saw people during that great revival that this church experienced, and I saw people flock to men and women as if 
They were their savior. And we still have charismatic groupies that feel like they have to get to this preacher to lay hands on them or get to this movement or, or go here to get a touch from God. And I'm for revival and I'm for setting aside a time as a body to hear from God. But let me tell you, the God that saved me, chased me into a bar room, chased me all the way to my house, would not let me out of the palm of his hand. And when you're alone and you're in darkness and you're empty, you can cry the name of Jesus and he will speak to you and heal you and feel you right where you are. You don't need to wait for me to put oil on you. You don't need an intermediary. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And when you come to his feet, he'll answer you, he'll speak to you, and he'll move on your behalf. God's expectation of his leaders. As I said, Levi was a son of Jacob. Those priests were responsible for the worship and the offerings in the temple and in the tabernacle. And in that day, it was their livestock. And as I've shared with you, God through the prophet is chastising the people for bringing not their best, but whatever diseased, lame animal they had. Not bringing, not just their sacrifice, but not even bringing a sacrifice of praise. Their heart not being for the things of God, their heart not worshiping God, just going through the routine of religion. We can all get stuck. Can I get an amen this morning? We can all get stuck in the routine of religion, in thinking the same way we've always thought, in doing the same things we always do, in in thinking we know what God is trying to do. And and the, the first place of sacrifice in following God is the ability to trust him, to trust him when you can't figure it out, to trust him when it looks dark, to trust him, even if it may be different than how you were raised. Can I get an amen? And so here's what it says. What does God expect from his leaders? What does God expect from his children? What does God expect from his preachers? Here's what it says. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. Now this isn't going to be a Christian television message today. I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. So God is, he's running out of patience with these people. He's already said, I have loved you, I provided, I brought you out of exile. And they said, oh yeah, how have you loved us? There's nothing worse than loving someone, believing in them, giving them a chance that no one would have given them only to have them look back at you and say, how have you loved me? And then last week, uh, where is my honor, saith the Lord? Where is my honor? You're not honoring me. And then now, after all of these things, he says, listen, if you will not hear and bring glory to my name, I will not only bring a curse upon you, I'm gonna curse your blessings. In other words, everything I've blessed, I'm now gonna curse because you will not hear 
my voice. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces. The refuse of your solemn feast, the one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I've sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. Everybody say peace. Everybody say shalom. And I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me, which is the beginning of your walk with God, and was reverent, honorable before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. Now here's the recipe for godly leadership. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. Not only have you departed from my way, you have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways but have shown partiality in the law. So the Levitical priesthood in this nation was the root of the problem. It wasn't simply the people. The people were a byproduct of ungodly leadership. Whenever you look at a nation, a region, a city, or a church, the people are a byproduct of the leadership. You look at the children in a home, they're a byproduct of the leadership. And because the priesthood was corrupt and because the priest's hearts weren't in the worship of God, the people had lost their zeal and passion to the things of God. And God's anger was to the leaders of that day. And let me say this about God. God expects more out of those of us that know him intimately. There is, as I've taught you before, a sin of ignorance. Some people sin, miss the mark, make a mistake because they don't know any better. But the expectation is higher for God's people because when we know better, when we know better and we turn our backs on him, then a curse comes. I believe there's grace for ignorance. But iniquity is different. Iniquity is evil. Iniquity is a conscious decision. It's more than trespassing. It's turning away from the things of God and working for the other team. Come on, sir. Come on. Bad leadership creates bad fellowship. So many fallen preachers. And y'all don't judge fallen preachers, okay? Because there are a lot of fallen people too. And many times we don't know the whole story, especially in this culture, as to what really goes on. Everybody's got an opinion. But we've seen over the last 30 years so many wonderful ministries fail and fall. And the saddest thing of all that to me is the Christian people that celebrate the demise of other people. Yes, there is a curse. Yes, there are consequences to bad decisions, but as God's children, are we really 
that fleshly and callous where we would rejoice when someone else loses everything? What's the end game? Do we want their end to be like Judas? When's enough? Do we want people to kill themselves? Do we think we are the initiators of their punishment or their judgment? There was a pastor in a mainline Christian denomination in the 60s and 70s, and he began preaching this book, the Bible. He was a phenomenal communicator of God's word. He became a Pentecostal, started off as uh, just a very evangelical, no spirit of God on it, but he became a fiery Pentecostal. God started blessing this man in the state of California. He started his own church, it grew. Uh, He was known later as a faith healer. And in this season, and I, I, I watched a documentary just as recent as three months ago on this man. And early on, I mean, he was a preacher of the gospel. He in the 60s and even in the early 70s, he was doing things, bringing the races together that no one else was doing. And politicians lined up to meet this guy one after another. I mean, the anointing of God was on him for a season. He did more for the poor than any other church around him. But something happened The enemy got involved and before too long, he stopped preaching this book. He thought he had gained a level of knowledge that was far above and more advanced than this timeless book. He quit preaching the Bible and then he started relying on tricks of the trade and manipulation and then it became not about people following Jesus but people following him. It began to be about his own glory, not the glory of God. And in just four to five years, what started off as godly became a cult. You've heard of the great massacre of Jonestown, Jim Jones, where all of those people, because they were following him, 900 people drank Kool-Aid laced with arsenic and died in Guyana following an immoral, ungodly man who had turned from the things of God, the word of God, and who'd lost his way. Friends, the first sign that someone's not walking with God is when it becomes about their glory, not God's glory. And you'll be able to tell it if you know Jesus. You'll be able to see it. And I'm telling you, I want you to follow Jesus. Yes, you should support and honor your pastor and allow him to lead. But don't you ever get to worshiping me. Don't you ever get to thinking that I don't struggle. Don't you ever get to thinking that I'm your healer. I don't want you codependent on my anointing. I want you codependent on his anointing. Amen? I want you codependent on his anointing. So first, the covenant of spiritual leadership. He says, you shall know that I've sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue. So he's issuing a command. He said, my covenant was with him one of life and peace. 
So we've taught you the word covenant, it is bereath, and it literally means a contractual agreement that became finalized by the shedding of blood. God created a covenant with Adam and Eve. The marriage, we find covenant. So many covenants with Noah, with Moses, through Jesus, we're saved because Jesus shed his blood on Calvary as the fulfillment of prophecy, which created a covenant for us. So when we come in covenant with Jesus, we're covered and protected and cared for and loved. And we have an eternity with him because of covenant. So there was a covenant. It's a contract between God and man. It's a spiritual connection. Sometimes it's accompanied by signs, sacrifices, solemn oaths, but it is a spiritual contractual agreement. We live in a culture today where no one keeps their word anymore. People back out of their commitments, their words. And I come from a place when you said I do, it meant I do. When you joined a body, it meant that was your family through the good times and bad. When you had a friendship with someone, you built that covenant over a period of time. You wouldn't just throw that covenant away over something silly. I come from a place of loyalty, man. I come from a place where when you say you'll be there, you'll be there. Uh, where you keep your word. And that's what's happened here. The priesthood has corrupted the temple because they're no longer keeping their word and their heart is not right. And so God had made his covenant. And he says, listen, this covenant carries a promise of life and peace. There's a promise. So because you're connected with me, saith the Lord, I'm gonna give you life, Zoe. I'm gonna give you peace. I'm gonna give you abundance. I'm gonna carry you throughout eternity with purpose and tranquility. But if you reject this covenant, if you turn your back on me, time and time again, there will be a curse. What are some characteristics, some ideal characteristics of spiritual leadership? What, what does God expect of his leaders, his priest, his royal priesthood? First is a fear of God. If you can do whatever you want and never have a fear of God, if you can say whatever you want about the things of God, a move of God, a man of God, and it never bothers you, you need to check yourself. Because it all starts with the fear of God. And if you don't have a fear of God, then you're not even past first base in the kingdom. Fear of God. God expects his leaders to walk with him. To walk with him. He expects his leaders, especially his spiritual leaders and preachers to speak the truth. Sometimes speaking the truth makes us very unpopular. Sometimes speaking the truth gets people mad at us. Because we're like that R.E.M. song from the 80s now in our culture. We, we're all just shiny, happy people holding hands. And no one wants to hear the truth anymore. No one wants to hear you're wrong anymore. No one wants to hear you're out of line anymore. Everybody wants to just, you know, keep the distance and not offend and, and all this crazy stuff. When what we need is truth. You know, it's the truth that sets you free is what the Bible says. You know, the, the worst thing you can do to a child is, is encourage them to do something they're not good at. You may have the greatest musician in your house that ever walked the face of the earth, but you're forcing them to be something you want them to be instead of finding out who God intended for them to be. And every now and then you need to look at your kid parents. We've been on this marriage and family stuff on midweek and go, you know, you're really not very good at that. Oh. If you don't tell them they're not good at something, how are they gonna find out what they're good at? 
We need the truth. And God expects his preachers to tell the truth. And it won't always make me popular, but it'll keep me in his presence. We need in this movement, not just in our region, but face to face across the globe, we need some preachers that's gonna tell the truth. Truth in love, but the truth. God expects his leaders to witness and to keep others from stumbling, to bring them into the kingdom of God. He expects us to be in God's word, not just simply let me come like a, like a dope addict and get my fix on Sunday and then go back till I need another fix. God wants us in this book. Get you a translation you can read, start in the New Testament, pray five minutes, give it 10 minutes, whatever it may take to get you started and get in God's word. The covenant of spiritual leadership, number two, the corruption of spiritual leadership. In verse eight, we hear about Malachi's burden. He was troubled and burdened by the Lord because of what he saw. The priest, the religious leaders had corrupted the covenant. What did they do? They moved away from their passion. How many of you this morning, I'm not beating you up, but you'd say, I've moved away from my passion. I've moved away from what God has called me to do and who he's called me to be. I'm no longer serving God. I'm not faithful to his house. I just noticed the negative and not the positive. I'm missing the spirit of God. How many of you have moved away from the things of God? You know, in in Revelation, it talks about the seven churches and it talks about Ephesus who lost their first love. And, And it... It took them just short of 30 years to go from passionate, soul-winning, loving God, transforming lives to literally becoming cold and complacent and religious. The corruption, they no longer walked with God. They became selfish, the people of this day. They became selfish and insensitive to offending God insensitive to their own failures, insensitive to the move of God. And I wonder since this pandemic, how many of us have become insensitive to hearing his voice, to worshiping his name, to laying and crying at the altar and praying. How much of us must we let go of so that we can get our passion back. What needs to go in your life so that you can get your passion for the Lord back? Also, one of the things that we see is that the Levitical priesthood of this day, they had put an emphasis on personal destiny over God's glory. Listen, I believe God wants you to have a better life I believe being connected with the Spirit of God and understanding the principles of God will bring promotion to your life and will bless you. And I believe in word of faith and confidence, absolutely. But you need to understand that God speaks to those who are suffering too. That there's a testimony in suffering, that it's not always gonna be roses and candles and the kingdom of God is not always about you or what you think or your bank account. It's much bigger than all of us. And to understand that while God values us and loves us as individuals, there is something much bigger going on than what we could even imagine. They became immoral, immoral, sexually, physically, financially, they became immoral. 
In other words, there was no difference between them and the people of the world. There was no difference. And when we look at the statistics of the church in this day and age, I mean, there, there's not a lot of difference. And I believe God is upset with us. Not all of us, not angry, breathing fire, but just wanting us to return to him and our passion for the things of God. It says they caused others to stumble. Now I've taught you this before, a stumbling block. It's to literally hinder God speaking or moving in someone else's life. To, to, to be in between a move of God and a man of God because of your own opinions or your sin. Romans 14, the apostle Paul is addressing the Jews and the Gentiles. And you have two completely different trains of thought. You have the Jews that are religious, keep their days, have certain dietary things that they are accustomed to. And then you have the Gentiles and they're like many of y'all. I mean, they like to drink wine and just eat meat and get down. And, and, and what you had going on there was you had the Jews judging the Gentiles. And then you have the Gentiles judging the Jews. Basically the Gentiles are saying, you Jews think you're holier than thou because you keep all these Sabbath and you do all this stuff. You think you're better than us. And then you got the Jews over here going, well, you drink wine and eat meat. We are better than you. And the apostle Paul, and, I, and I'm illustrating here, but he, he's basically getting between them going, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's always been about. It's not about rules and opinions and this and labels. It's about the spirit of the living God on someone's life, but they caused others to stumble. And Paul would say in this, he said, listen, Gentiles, if you get around a Jewish person and they don't believe in eating meat or drinking wine, don't do it in front of them. And let, let me say this, that's not a hypocrite, friend. That's a respectful person. A hypocrite is someone who literally puts on a mask everywhere they go, depending on who they're around. It's the Latin derivative to wear a mask. It's not a Christian that doesn't do certain things around certain people out of respect for a holy God that does not want to be a hindrance to them finding God. It's not about preferences and rules, it's about our heart. The sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart coming to God in humility. Jesus had to address the Pharisees for causing others to stumble. He called them hypocrites. Because why did he call them hypocrites and not everybody else? Because he expected more out of them. Because they knew more. They knew more, but they didn't change the way. They ministered to other people. He said, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. In other words, I'm gonna judge you more because you're religious and you're judging everybody and you're missing the kingdom. Woe to you, he says. Woe to you. He called them blind guides. He was harder on the religious crowd, my savior, than anybody. Harder on the religious crowd than anyone because he understood their value, and it hurt him when they missed him and his kingdom. Malachi chapter two, verse nine, says, I've made you contemptible and have before all the people. So this is my last point. The curse brought on corrupt leadership. The curse 
So we're in a dispensation of grace. I've taught you that. And what that means is God's being much better to us in this season than we deserve. How many of you are thankful for that grace right now? Amen. I am. God's, God's being very good to us right now, but he is coming back and he's not coming back. He's a little baby in a manger. He's coming on a horse to execute vengeance and judgment. And we need to be ready for his return because if he went silent 400 years then, then you better believe the book of Revelation is true. And all those who do evil and who speak against the things of God will be brought into judgment. It tells us there's a covenant that must be restored. How does that happen? Well, from God's side, there's a call to divine office. If you're a spiritual leader, first your call comes from God, not man. Then there's the promise of life and peace. It's a covenant of life and peace. Then there is the initiative to do ministry. But from our side, if God calls us and he's called all of us, some of you've heard it, some of you hadn't, we must fear God, be faithful and stand in awe of his name. It says in verse five, my covenant was with him, the covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This is God's initiative, that he might fear and he feared me and stood in awe of his name. So you have God's initiative and God's aim. What is his aim? He wants us to long for his presence. Amen? Say the word intimacy with me. I, it's important you cultivate your relationship with God. You know, I can make it religious, but basically what I'm trying to say is love on Jesus. Love on Jesus. In the morning, in the new time, before you go to bed, pray to the Lord, be thankful to the Lord. Be in awe of his name. Don't take what he has done for you for granted. Don't just shrug through the motions when God's speaking or moving. There's a respect that God has called us to. So what does this curse look like when covenant is broken? When a covenant with God is broken, when you turn away from God, when you reject his precepts, what does that look like? Well, here's what the curse looks like. First thing that happened is God removed favor from their lives. How many of you have seen that in corrupt leadership? It's like when they were on fire for God, they, could, they couldn't miss. It's like they were playing craps and kept, kept drawing seven. I mean, everything they did turned to gold, but when they rejected the things of God, it's like everything they tried to do would end up a mess. First thing, the favor is removed. It says, Whatever the priest chose to bless, because they were corrupt, God would curse. So you need to be careful which people you're following. And this is not for this house, but somebody's watching on. You need to be careful all these movements you follow. You want to get this preacher to lay hand on you. Some of them are crooks and they're going to lay hands on you and you're going to be in covenant with their curse. I don't let everybody pray for me. I don't. I don't want what some people got on me. I just don't. You pray for me at the house, but if you're gonna anoint me with something, I better feel the fire of God on you and the purity of God. Because I don't want your flesh struggles on me. I got enough of my own. I got enough I'm dealing with. I don't need your sins or your struggles. Not only was the favor removed from their lives, their relationships were tarnished. 
God is a jealous God. It says in Exodus 20. And that when we as fathers sin, the curse is on the second and third generation. So when you dishonor God, you're not just affecting you. You're affecting three generations of people. What else happens? What does the curse look like when covenant is broken? God exposes the priest publicly. You see, we come from also a church age here in Eastern Tennessee, Western Tennessee, where we, we feel like we gotta sweep everything under the rug because we don't wanna offend people. Well, if you notice the way I lead the last five years, I don't. I'm not gonna tell you somebody resigned if we really forced them to resign. I'm not gonna pretend. If we fire them, I'm gonna tell you we fired them and you can just believe me that I know what I'm doing or not. But I'm not gonna get up here and sugarcoat. I'm gonna give you the truth and what you and the spirit do with the truth between you and God. Because I believe with all of my heart that most of you walk with God. And if I give you the truth, you'll get in your prayer closet with the Bible and God will speak to you. And you'll know which way to go and what to do. We have a responsibility to give people truth, but God exposed them publicly. He brought shame to their lives. It says he literally would put on their faces the pollution of the rotten animals that they would take out to the dump and burn. They would put the pollution of the animals on the shame priest's face. Man, if we did that, we'd be on every news station in America, wouldn't we? People walking out with cow dung on their foreheads. Let me tell you something far worse than cow dung though, friend. It's what David felt when he committed his worst sin. And he said, Lord, you can have everything. You can have the kingdom, you can have it all, but don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your love from me. Because David made some mistakes, but God used him because of his heart. And some of you, you got all the gifts, but your heart is far from him. God will do more with a heart after him then he will all your credentials. God's looking for people with a broken and contrite heart that want to see him move and want to see him functioning the way God intended for him to function. So we've seen this process of deterioration. First thing that happens is the foundation of the ministry becomes weak. They get away from the word of God, the things of God, the people of God, the purpose of God, then the manifestation of the ministry becomes worldly. It's no longer about the people. It's no longer about the ministry. It's no longer about the precepts of God. Then the glorification of the ministry becomes non-existent. It says in verse six, and then I'm, I'm done. He turned many from iniquity. See, in verse eight, he says, you've caused many to stumble. But in speaking of Levi, the original, he says, he turned many from iniquity. God is a gracious God. And he's called us to reach people and to turn them from their iniquity. I've taught you this before. Sin is to miss the mark. Trespass is to cross the line. Iniquity affects the heart, means you've turned your back on God. And transgression means you've broken the heart of God. I believe I'm speaking to a church today that God's bringing back to their first love. I, I believe it spiritually. I'm hearing a rally cry today of unity, of service, 
of faithfulness, of power, of glory. And I believe if we'll set aside our flesh and the culture in which we live and we'll embrace the kingdom and give God everything we've got, I know he's going to show up. He already has. Stand on your feet all over this place. Would my pastors make their way down? Listen, if you need Jesus Christ in your life, you say, Pastor Ronnie, I'm far from God. I don't know. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ came, never sinned, died on a cross, was put in a borrowed tomb and got up out of the grave three days later so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you need Jesus, it starts with you doing your part and accepting this covenant that's already been paid for. But now it's time for you to do your part so that that covenant relationship can become one. Jesus has done his part. He's waiting on some of you. So if you need Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Have his house help me, dear Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. 